They went from there and passed through Galilee, and they did not know they did not want anyone to know, for for what he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he said and he is killed after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came into Capernaum, and when he was in the house, they asked him, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called called the twelve. He said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And in taking them in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believed in me to sin, it would be better for him to, if a great millstone were hung around his neck and if he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom with one eye than with two than to be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not, quen- is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but the salt has lost its saltiness. How will you ever make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Well, as Harry mentioned uh, a little bit, a little while ago, uh, sadly, this is my last moment as your youth pastor. Tara and I are actually moving to Indiana this Wednesday, which means that today, and then we have an event tonight, today is my last, uh, last moment as a youth pastor. So, after two years of this role, it's easy to get nostalgic and look back on memories and uh, just kind of reminisce and uh, just think good old happy thoughts about these past two years. And I can remember instances of teaching the Bible and just watching them eat the Scripture up. I can think of memories of them playing and rustling around in the grass, and I'm just standing there laughing at them. I have a lot of fun memories of that. Um, memories of where in summer camp they forced me to wrestle one of our students and he took me down in about two seconds. I'm not kidding, it was about two seconds. One memory in particular um, keeps lingering in my head. It was when I was an early youth pastor and uh, we had done some teachings, we had done some one-on-ones with some students, um, but I realized that A good youth pastor also goes to extracurricular things, so there's a football game coming up. I should go watch this high school football game and cheer on my fellow students. In fact, this was an interesting game because I had two students from separate schools playing each other. We had Xander Fair versus Quade Viedmark. 
In fact, on top of that, I had two students in the marching band, Maddie and Joshua, that I could root for as well. So this was like one of those many, many birds, one stone kind of thing. First high school football game, this is going to be a slam dunk. Poor sports analogy. Anyway, um, so I decide to go to this game, and along the way, I'm thinking, I should probably get some money. I check in my wallet, a dollar. All right, rifle through my coin tray with loose, loose change included. I'm at about $3. That's, that's enough. That's, that's like two Costco hot dogs. That's, that's good enough. And so I go to the game. I get this great parking space, and I get to the box office. There's a couple high school students who don't really care, so they just wave me in. I don't even have to pay. I get up to the bleachers. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Don't see my friends. Hey, where are you? Oh, we're sitting by the marching band. No marching band. I'm at the wrong high school football game. (laughs) So I humbly walk past the box office, get back in my car, go to the correct school this time. Um, It's a little late now, so I can't find parking in the school itself. I park a good ways away. It's warm outside. I look like this. So by the time I get to the box office, I am sweating. I have my hand full of sweaty money, and I slap it down on the counter, and I hear $5. I don't have enough money to get into this high school football game. So I pull out my phone, and I sheepishly start texting my friends, hey, can you lend me some money so I can get into the game? And... um, Meanwhile, the lady in the box office takes pity on me, and she just lets me go. I whisper, thank you. She whispers, you're welcome. And I enjoy the second half of my first football game. It was interesting. During this time, there was a lot of driving. There was a lot of contemplation that took place. And I realized after 10 years of graduating, I was reliving high school. All of my insecurities and anxieties came back up. I managed to make a fool out of myself in two locations. No less, I was, I was back in high school. And I realized as I was studying for this text that this was me. I was the disciple here. During this time, I was going to seminary. I was getting my Master of Divinity. In fact, I was pretty much done, which means that I had taken classes on Greek and Hebrew and theology and evangelism and counseling and preaching and yada, yada, yada. I've written a number of papers, and I was getting all puffed up. I'm pretty awesome. You know, like I got an A in Hebrew. That's not easy to do, especially when John Mead is teaching. Um, I'm doing all right. I'm pretty good. I must be one of the best of my class. And just like this passage, God throws a youth, rather a group of youths, in my circle. And I realized immediately then, and I've known it since, that being a pastor of this youth group would be humbling. Now, don't get me wrong, these past two years have been really wonderful. I have cherished my moments with you guys. I've really enjoyed watching you grow, and moreover, watching you grow thirsty and thirsty and thirsty for the Scriptures. But I've also noticed that there have been many moments where my pride has had to take a back seat to a bunch of high schoolers making fun of me. 
And honestly, this is what was going on here. These disciples were arguing amongst themselves which of them was the greatest. And Jesus pulls a kid into the circle, and everyone gets silent. And that's what I want us to walk away with today. This is what I want us to be aware of. We Christians need to keep in mind that we will always faithfully and humbly serve our church. All followers of Christ faithfully and humbly serve their church. So to begin with, let's get our bearings straight with our first point and seeing who Jesus as the real Messiah is. We see in the first three verses that Jesus mentions for the second time in this gospel that he was going to Jerusalem for the sake of being killed and three days later be buried, or three days later be raised from the grave. Why is he repeating this? This is like the Debbie Downer of the, of the whole gospel. Why does he keep bringing this up that he's going to die? Well, see, Mark is really interesting because the gospel is broken up really into two sections. And the first half of the gospel focuses on how basically through all of these awesome things that Jesus is doing, no one gets it. No one seems to understand who Jesus is. They're like, man, this guy is awesome. He can walk on water. He can feed a bunch of people with, like, my lunch. And, uh, wow, that's awesome. He can raise people from the dead. Isn't that cool? But they don't seem to understand who he truly is. A couple weeks ago, Malachi taught on this vision, or not this vision, on this healing where he healed this blind man. And it took two turns. The first healing, he was able to see, but everyone looked like trees. And then after that, he was able to see clearly. And this is our hinge point of the whole gospel. See, up until that moment, no one got it. But now, people are starting to wrap their head around, you know what, I think Jesus might be the Messiah. I think Jesus might be Christ. Hey, isn't that awesome? In fact, you get in that section that Malachi taught for us, He asks the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter's like, you're the Christ. Good job, Peter. So with that being said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter's like, no, 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 you're not, no, you're not. And then we get the very notable, get behind me, Satan, phrase. Peter nails it and then really fails. Why was that such a big deal? Well, see, in this time... People didn't really seem to understand Messiah like we think of Messiah. When we think of Christ, we automatically go to, oh, is the guy who died for our sins raised from the dead. Isn't that awesome? We can have salvation with him. That's really great. Back in the day, there were all sorts of different ideas of what the Messiah looked like. The most popular was that the Messiah was going to be a warrior who was going to kill Caesar, take over Rome, and establish a Jewish empire on earth. So when Peter says, you're the Christ, and Jesus is like, you're right, everyone's just like, yes, yes, we're taking down Caesar, yes. And then he's like, also, I'm going to die. That didn't compute with their understandings. And in fact, ironically, they were thinking too small. See, Jesus didn't come to kill Caesar and take over 
Rome and establish a Jewish empire here on earth. He came not to kill Caesar, but to kill death itself and defeat evil and Satan. And he didn't come to, dis- to establish a kingdom on earth. He came to establish an eternal heavenly kingdom that is perfect and just waiting for us to enjoy. Ironically, these disciples thought too little of their Messiah. And this is really important for us to wrap our head around because in order to understand your role in the church, in order to understand what you're supposed to do as Christians, we need to understand who our Christ truly is. These disciples didn't quite understand what they were supposed to do because they didn't quite understand who Jesus was. And that brings us to our second point where we're able to see what the true servant is supposed to look like. This is that moment where the disciples are kind of bickering amongst themselves as to who's the greatest. I'm sure it was a pretty colorful language. We don't actually sadly get to see what exactly they said. But I'm sure there was a lot of, like, well, I went up to see Jesus get transfigured. Yeah, well, he calls us the sons of thunder. So there's that, you know, like, I'm sure it was pretty colorful. They were arguing amongst themselves as to who the best was because they simply didn't understand what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And Jesus does this really interesting thing. They're kind of puffed up and arrogant, and he brings a child in. Interesting move, Jesus. Of all things, why would you bring in a kid? Well, this culture that Jesus was in didn't really, like, they didn't really enjoy children. You wouldn't have seen a youth Sunday in the first century church. Why? Because kids were considered to be a necessary burden. Yeah, we have to have kids to, you know, continue our line. Help us do farming work, yada, yada. Take care of us when we get old and die. But they're so loud. They have so much energy. I mean, come on. Take a nap, you know, like, do me a favor. I mean, that was their mentality. It's like, we we need kids, but we don't really like kids. It was best that kids were seen but not heard. And Jesus then pulls a kid in the middle of this elite group of disciples. And he says, guys, you want to know who's the best? Take care of him. Which one of you thinks you're the greatest? Put this kid before your own ambition and your own pride and your own arrogance. If you can serve this child, then you're actually pretty good in the church. Wow, all right. So what we have here is Jesus is showing these disciples, if you truly want to be a leader or a member even in my church, you need to serve to the point of where you are taking care of, you are thinking of these lesser people before yourself. You're putting the needs of others before the needs of your own. When you think about it, that is, boy, that is humbling to realize, man, I have to think of 
the youth before myself. I have to think of the homeless before myself. I have to think of, I'm married now, so I have to think of my wife before myself. I can't have cereal for dinner. We have to have a real meal, you know? So, I mean, there are all these things where we are realizing we need to humble ourselves for the sake of serving in our church. And this is why it is so important to know what the Messiah really looks like. This is why Jesus keeps repeating, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. We're not going to fight. We're not going to have some sort of giant war. I'm going to get executed. And this is really radical because as Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus was really high up. He was in heaven. He is God himself. And he chose to humble himself to the point of death on the cross. And death on the cross is brutal. It's where they beat you to an inch of your life, strip you naked, and shame you. It's where all of his friends either betrayed him or abandoned him. They nailed him to this really painful piece of wood, hung him in the very hot sun, and let him get mocked by all of the Jews entering Jerusalem. Brutal death. And he humbled himself to take that for us. And then three days later, he rose again and ascended into heaven. And somehow, he is even higher than he was before. That's pretty awesome. That creates kind of an interesting U-shaped path that Jesus takes. Now, that, that provides us with two things. There's kind of these two themes carrying throughout this section. First, individually, for us, this is wonderful. His death on the cross provided a salvation for us. He died so that we can eternally live. And His raising from the grave allowed for death to no longer have a sting or no longer have power. We have eternal life, and moreover, we have a relationship with God the Father through what Jesus has done for us. That alone is fantastic. But that also shows us what we are supposed to do from here on out. Not only are we saved, that's awesome, but we now are to follow the same path that Jesus took. Naturally, we are all very prideful and boastful. We love to think of ourselves and really just raise ourselves up. We need to let go of that. We need to humble ourselves to the point of where we put others before us and serve them. And that is how our church should function, that we are very quick to serve and love those around us, that we put others before ourselves, that we humble ourselves and serve each other just like Jesus humbled himself and served us. Now as he's teaching these disciples this lesson, John chimes in and he's just like, I have I have a way to make it seem like we're still doing all right. And he chimes in and explains to Jesus, yeah, but we're, we're pretty okay, really. And this is what brings us to our, our third point. 
it shows us that John totally misunderstands what a humble follower looks like. See, in this section, in 38 to 41, he is explaining, yeah, yeah, but Jesus, we saw someone else casting out a demon, and he wasn't part of our group. And so, we stopped him. We're, you know, we're looking out for you, Jesus. Our group only, you know? And what we have here is that Jesus actually rebukes them, saying, why would you do that? You're hindering God by stopping this person who is serving, even though he's outside of our group. See, what John was quick to explain and quick to hang on to was this elitism that he was still in, still in love with. He was, tri- he was trying to really hang on to his own prowess, his own magnificence. Yeah, but I'm one of the 12, so he wasn't one of us, so we we snubbed him. We took him out, Jesus. You're welcome. We naturally get prideful in things that we put time into. We naturally strive after things that we put effort into. If you have a job, you naturally are quick to kind of make that your identity and celebrate some sort of success that you might have had in your own job. Maybe you got a promotion. Maybe you made a big sale. Maybe you, you know, did whatever. Celebrating, like, it's easy to just celebrate that. Man, I got a promotion. I got a promotion. I'm pretty pretty valuable to this company. Things like that. Sadly, that happens within ministry as well. We very quickly turn our service in ministry to puffing ourselves up. Like I have mentioned a number of times at this point, I was a youth pastor for two years, and it was easy for me to think of things like, we need higher numbers. We should have people bringing more and more friends. We need them to stick around after they graduate like mold the rest of their lives into wanting to stay in Trinity because I did so well in leading them. It's easy to just kind of get bogged down in celebrating ourselves with our ministry. It's easy to be like, well, I'm a youth pastor, so obviously the best ministry here at Trinity is the youth group, obviously. I'm part of a pastor a youth pastor group where we meet from all over the valley, and it's easy for me to think, wow, you're teaching through a book? I teach the Bible, so. You know, it's, it's easy to just get caught up and start to celebrate yourself with your own ministry. And even outside of that, it's easy to do that within our own church. Trinity is very unique in that it teaches the Bible pretty regularly. You go to anything and we will be teaching the Bible. That is a main focus of ours. A lot of churches in the valley don't do that. So it's easy to be like, oh, you go to that church? Okay. Really? Isn't that cute? It's easy to do that with other denominations. You're Presbyterian? Okay, when you're serious about your faith, let me know. And we at Trinity would love to have you. It's easy to get caught up in that. Why? Because we quickly turn from serving God to serving ourselves. We quickly look away to serve ourselves. We quickly 
do whatever we need to, even if it's preaching the gospel, to be like, obviously I preached the gospel, but I did it better than Josh. So, that's, that's so easy to do, and that's exactly what John was doing here. Yeah, okay, serving children, that's great, Jesus, but we stop someone else from casting out demons. Come on, give us something. He was prideful in his service. He was prideful in his being part of this 12 apostles. And so Jesus continues and explains in our fourth section why this is so important. And that brings us to our fourth point where we see what it looks like to be a true, faithful church. Just to reignite our memories, let me read through this passage again and... uh, Yeah, just let it be fresh again. Whoever causes one of these little ones, these children, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Hmm. What on earth is Jesus talking about here? Does he really want me to cut my body parts off? Does he really want me to look like a pirate? Come on. Come on, that was a joke. Come on, everyone. Ha ha! All right. He's he's stressing the importance of humility. He's stressing why it's so important to serve those around you. Because if we are selfish, if we are prideful and we boast in our own accomplishments and we're just lifting and puffing ourselves up, then we're not going to serve those lesser than us. If we're celebrating ourselves, then our friendships will be economical so that we can go up the next rung in our own ladder. If we're thinking of ourselves, we want nothing to do with these others because they might make me look bad. This is why we need to be humble. Jesus is stressing our need to be humble because without it, we create a very dangerous concoction. We don't become servants within our church. We become dictators within our church. In fact, there's kind of a two-fold cleansing going on in this last section here. Again, we can see the differences between individual and corporate. Individually, he is encouraging us to abstain, to turn away from temptation. Honestly, if there is something that causes you to stumble or causes you to sin, cut it out of your life. He doesn't actually encourage you to cut body parts off, but if you are struggling with something like, if you're struggling with pornography, cut 
whatever you need to out of your life so that you don't have that temptation just looming over you all of the time. If you're struggling with gossip, cut those friends out of your life so that you're not quick to tear others down. If you're struggling with bitterness, find ways to serve others so that you don't get embittered and become just, look, like just unpleasant to be around and spread the bitterness around. If there's a temptation to sin, cut it out so that you can continue to stay pure in your walk with God. That's the individual side of it. But Jesus is also speaking of the corporate side. And we can see that in our context here. Look at where we are. He's been talking about serving kids. He's been rebuking them when they are puffing themselves up and pushing people away who aren't part of the clique. Also, if you look at the sister passage in Matthew, Matthew follows the same structure, the same outline as Mark. In Matthew's section, he includes church discipline. Odd place to put it. And we can even see that with the last sentence of our passage today. Be at peace with one another. So how does this pertain to the church? Well, see, Bob, or not Bob, Paul calls the church the body. He does this on a number of, of occasions. And it's a really interesting, beautiful metaphor of what the church is. It makes it so that each of us are body parts that perform a specific function for the church. So if you're an eye, you have a very specific function. If you're a hand, you have a very specific function. If you're a foot, you have a very specific function. If you're a knee, you know, whatever it might be. We each have our own roles within the church. And what you don't want, you don't want a bunch of eyes so that you're like Mike Wazowski or something. You want to have different body parts so that it complements and creates a whole body. And what he's talking about here is if there is someone who is performing a specific role in your church, let's say they make a great hand, whatever that might look like, but they are bitter and they are spreading sin and they're just spreading it around like a poison within the church. Our culture says, you know what, you be you. Let's just tolerate and love those around us no matter what. You know, just, I don't agree with him, but it's okay. The reality is, though, is if you don't leave, if you just leave it the way it is, that person will spread sin throughout the whole body and it will spread like a cancer. If you want to keep your body, your church, pure, you have to cut that hand off. You have to cast that wicked person out of your church. Not because we're trying to be elitist, not because we're just like, you're not cool, but because if we leave it untouched, that sin will spread throughout the whole body. And it will hinder our ability to glorify and worship God. So what we have here is Mark is telling us that if we have someone in our church who is corroding the church away through selfish desires, we as a church are obligated to stand up and say, no, you don't do that. 
And if need be, get to the point of where we cast them out of our church. Why? So that the rest of our body can fully worship God. With that, I have um, some points for us to walk away with. Uh, One application for each of our sections that I, I hope will help us recognize what it truly looks like to be followers of Christ. The first one comes from our first point. It's important for us to know who the true Messiah is. It's important for us to know what it actually looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. So first and foremost, if you do not know Christ, if you have not put your faith or your trust or your love into Jesus, you need to do that right now. This is the most important decision of your life. Don't go home and sleep on it. Don't go home and let life distract you and you forget about it. If you feel the need to accept Christ, don't leave until you do so. And if you're curious as to what that might look like, come talk to me or Josh or Harry or really anyone else around you. We would love to find a way for you to accept Christ. It is by far the most important relationship you're ever going to have. Christ died for us so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. And He rose from the grave so that we could be avoiding death. So that we can enjoy eternal life. It doesn't require any kind of action on our own. It doesn't require any kind of work on our own. It's simply a free gift that He offers to us. Do you want to have eternal life and have a relationship with God the Father, the Creator of the universe? Yes or no? Because if it's a yes, then what are you waiting for? And if it's a no, then why? What are you waiting for? Accept. Just just accept. Secondly, though, it's important for us to know what Jesus looks like. It's easy for us to have relationships with him to get caught up in kind of watering Jesus down. Jesus, he was a great teacher. But I'm, I'm not really into any of that spiritual stuff, so I'll, wa- I'll read through his lessons and I'll try to apply it to my life, but I'll leave it at that. I don't need to pray or anything. That's weird. Or, Jesus is my friend. He's a good buddy. He accepts me for who I am. Even though I have a crippling drug or drinking problem, he's fine with it. He's a good guy. That's not right. That's incorrect. That's misunderstanding who Jesus is. We need to understand fully what our Messiah truly is. Otherwise, we'll be like these disciples who misunderstand our role as Christians. And that brings me to my second application of how we must follow the path of humility that Jesus paves for us. He came and He died for us. He left heaven in order to dwell with us pitiful humans. If He's willing to do that, then I should be willing as a Christian to let go of my pride and my arrogance and just deflate a little bit so that I can serve those around me. 
If Jesus was willing to humble himself as much as you could humble yourself for me, then I should be willing to have a conversation with someone that I would normally avoid. That I should be willing to want to serve someone in the church. That I should be willing to not only like, hey, nice to meet you, I'm Tom, and then ignore them, but pursue them week after week. Hey, how have you been? Can we get coffee sometime this week? I just want to get to know you. I want you to feel welcome here at this church. We should be willing to do that. And fair warning, it causes humility. It causes us to set our own desires and our own arrogance aside and be willing to get uncomfortable. But Jesus did that, which means that we should do that as well. That brings me to my third point, which is that we should avoid elitism. It's easy to get caught up in, well, Trinity is the best church, so if you don't go to any other church, you're probably not a Christian. Or, oh, you're, you're in the youth? Well, okay, you guys aren't Christians yet. Wait until you graduate high school. It's easy to get caught up in stuff like that. But notice what happens with John. He gets caught up in, well, you're not part of our clique, so you're, you're just an outsider. Good thing we stopped you. And Jesus rebukes him. It's the same for us. If we get caught up elevating Trinity or elevating ourselves or our ministry, we're not humbly serving those around us. You should want to allow the gospel to flow in whatever avenue it can. So if you have a friend who's going to a church that you might not agree with, that's fine. Encourage them to stay strong in the gospel, but don't be like, well, sinner, you know. Avoid elitism because, again, that just causes you to puff yourself up and celebrate yourself, not God. And fourth, we must check ourselves of our tempters, of our temptations. What in your life is causing you to stumble? What in your life is still a sin problem for you? Why haven't you nipped that in the bud? Can you nip that in the bud? We can't let go of sin on our own. We need the help of God and the Holy Spirit to convict us and pull that poison out of us like a snake wound. But that also, caused, that also calls for discipline on our case. If you naturally struggle with the sin, then don't keep going to what's tempting you to sin. If you have an alcohol problem, don't meet your buddies at a bar. If you have a gambling problem, don't go hang out in talking sticks or whatever that is. Avoid those moments of temptation. 
Furthermore, we in the church, we are called to live life together, to live with one another, which means that if you are noticing someone who is going down the path of just getting caught up in their sin, we as fellow members of the same body are called to stand up and say, hey, I'm worried about you. Let me help you get out of this rut. Hey, can I be some sort of accountability for you? Hey, I notice you're really struggling. Can we like, go hang out so we can get your mind off of this? Let me pray for you constantly. Just be honest with them. Again, it causes you to be in an awkward situation, but if you are willing to serve your fellow brothers and sisters in that way, you are going to keep this church, this body, pure. Encourage one another and if need be, speak truth to them. Say, hey, I, I'm worried about your soul right now. It's an awkward conversation. But it's necessary. Let me close with one other observation I had. Notice in this passage how much attention is spent towards serving. The first Three verses of this whole passage speaks about the relationship with Jesus. Everything after that talks about how we are then to serve in the church. So what if you're not serving? What if church for you is nothing more than two hours every Sunday and you, have, you leave before the last song is done so you don't have to talk to anyone? What if church is nothing more than once a month? or Easter and Mother's Day. What if you faithfully attend church, but you show no interest in serving or giving of your money? We need to serve humbly within this church. This, this is the point of our section here. We as followers of Christ are called to serve in our church. So first and foremost, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that is your number one priority. But outside of that, we are then called to serve one another and love one another. It makes no sense for you to love God the Father and hate God's family. We need to serve one another. And love one another. And it just so happens that this is about kids in our midst. Our children's ministry desperately needs help. Maybe you're like, I'm not good with kids or whatever. That's fine. We're going to do a background check so everyone's safe. But outside of that, you're good. You're set. We have SAF coming up. This is where we have Tons of kids here for the whole week. Wonderful opportunity for you to serve. These are ways for you to get your feet in the door. Let me encourage, if you're not good with kids, that's fine, but let me encourage you to find a way to serve and love one another. If you're not good at ministries within the church, okay, attach yourself to a small group so that you can love 10 or so people really well. 
Why? Because this is what we are called to do. We are called to live Christianity out corporately, not individually. We are to have first and foremost that love with God, but then immediately after that love with one another. So if you're not serving, I encourage you to find a way to serve. Let's pray.